Many Iowans are struggling to put food on the table this holiday season. We'll talk about food insecurity and the nonprofit organizations providing help on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, December 16th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. In the breadbasket of the world, there are still people who are quote-unquote food insecure. We're going to talk about that today on this edition of Iowa Press. Our guests are Michelle Book. She is the president and CEO of the Food Bank of Iowa. It serves 55 of Iowa's 99 counties. And joining us today is Kim Guardado. She is the food reservoir director. That's essentially kind of a food bank director for the Hawkeye Area Community Action Program in Hiawatha. And her organization serves seven counties for the folks who are food insecure in that area. Thanks to both of you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Also joining this conversation, Clay, Math Clay Ma Masters of Iowa Public Radio and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. So we wanted to start by just kind of getting uh, the lay of the land. What, what is the current need out there? What, 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 what are how do things look right now as far as food insecurity in Iowa? Michelle Book, we'll start with you. What are you seeing right now as we enter this holiday season? How great uh, is the need out there? Well, the need flatlined, I believe, over the course of COVID. We saw flattening of the need. Uh, an initial ramp up, it flattened out. Things seemed to be calming down, and then April 1st came. SNAP benefits decreased again, need doubled, tripled. In some parts of our states, we saw a quadrupling of the need, where pantries are reporting that they're seeing many more families with children and many people on fixed income as before that April 1st SNAP change. Kim, how about uh, in eastern Iowa there? Is, are you seeing something similar? I would say yes. Uh, most of our partners are telling us that right now we're seeing about a 40% increase over what we had seen previously. Um, definitely families that have never accessed this kind of food service before and uh, families that have just um, faced all kinds of increased challenges uh, that they've never had to access these kind of resources. We've learned that uh, or been told that food insecurity can be a precursor to other issues as well, including homelessness, which has been on the rise in some Iowa communities. I know it is in Cedar Rapids, mm -hmm. uh, for example. So, Kim, is that your experience as well? Is that a warning sign to even more issues that could come later? I think food is one of those things that everybody needs. So uh, we, we want to provide those resources to as many people as possible. And uh, when you have one need in an area, often those needs are met with other challenges like homelessness or um, healthcare issues, all of those things kind of go together. So, um, you know, really, we, we just want to support families where they're at and help them. Uh, food is the easiest thing we can provide for people. 
Michelle Borg, same question to you. Is it, well, do you see that same thing? Food insecurity and poverty go hand in hand. And, as, and in that equation is access to affordable housing, um, daycare, uh, daycare that families can't afford, health care and mental health care. All of those come together. They're all in one big basket. But at the end of the day, the thing that people seem to not be able to budget for, it's food. So they'll pay their rent. They've got to make the car payment. Um, they've got to take care of their kids' health care costs. At the end of the day, there's just not enough left for food. We're seeing kind of a perfect storm right now when you think about funding that was there for pandemic relief that's going away. We're also seeing inflation pretty high. And we've also seen some issues with supply chain and, and getting resources. How is that kind of uh, mixture of challenges uh, affecting those that are food insecure and is this the kind of thing that will work itself out in time? Or, or how do you address it uh, when you're seeing all these different things coming together with some fairly new territory? We'll start with you. Well, we know inflation is at levels we've not seen since 1980. Some of us, haven't, some of us weren't born in 1980, but uh, we haven't seen since the 1980s. And our food prices have increased 13.9%. That affects people that are living at or below the poverty line. It also affects food banks. As we go out to procure food, we're seeing increased prices, a lack of what we need in the marketplace, but then also we have to contract for people to get it to us. So freight costs have also risen extraordinarily. So it impacts all of us. Those folks that are taking their calculator to the grocery store, they're not able to absorb the inflation the way some other people might be able to over a period of time. But again, it costs us more to provide the service as well. Kim Guardado, how would you come at that question? How has that kind of perfect storm been impacting what you see on the ground? You know, everything is all, just as Michelle described, everything all fits together. And so in order for us to be able to continue to provide for individuals, we need to have access to more resources. We need more food to feed the increased need. Uh, we need more funding to be able to help, uh, like Michelle described, to the transportation, all of those pieces together. Um, it's, there, it's been extremely challenging the, the last year to be able to do that. You know, one point I might, I might talk about, and Kim and I have talked about this before, Food banking started in the 1960s, and it's really based on food rescue, keeping food out of landfills, uh, working with food retailers to take that food that's not sellable but edible and then put it back into the cycle. So we do that via our smaller frontline partners, our, our food pantries. What we're finding today with inflation, everybody's bottom line is shrinking, that those retailers, the producers and processors, they're tightening things up. So we're getting less food rescue from some of the big manufacturers, processors, and less from retailers because people have gotten more comfortable with shelves being cleaned off at the end of the day. There's just less there for us to rescue to get back into our food pantry network. So that's a pinch as well. And so because of that, food banks are having to purchase more food, yes. which with the increase of costs is just making it yeah. even more challenging. Our food budget in the first nine months of 22 compared to 21 is 650 percent more. 650 percent more spent on food in this, in this last nine months than we did a year before. So I think that's an important distinction there too. I think a lot of people think about food banks as places where you just bring donations, but there, there's a 
you know, a need to stock it as well. I mean, how, how does that relationship work as far as donations versus uh, what you're having to buy as a food bank? Your percentages might be a little bit different, Kim, but during COVID, about 50% of our food was coming from the USDA, the Emergency mm -hmm. oh. Food Assistance Program. 30% was donated and 20% we purchased with donor dollars, and a lot of that was school backpack program. Today, the USDA, those food resources have declined significantly at about the same time SNAP benefits declined. So today, where we would have in the past said 50% of our food comes from the USDA, today 30% of it does. And our, and our donations have reduced, so that lends itself to purchasing more. Our 700 smaller frontline partners come into our online inventory system. They order what they'd like, we pick it, we pull it, and we put it on a truck and we deliver it to their front door. They also have access to rescue from local food retailers. We, we match people up, the local Costco with the local pantry, a local fairway with a local feeding site. So we put those things together, we're the matchmaker. So they rely on rescue food, but also what they get from our inventory. Similar um, right. to what you experienced exactly. as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the demographics of the people being served by your partners, the food pantries. Um, Kim, tell us what we would think of as the urban versus rural person who uses a food bank or a food pantry. Is there a huge difference in percentages? I think the, the important thing to consider is that the person using the pantry is a person just like you and me. They're, they're the person who might just live a few houses down on your street that has come upon a difficult time and has needed to seek out food resources. And so when we try to think about who, what does that person look like, what does that family look like, um, they're just like us. And um, because food is so important, we need to make sure that everybody has access to food. Um, when we look at rural versus urban, um, I think in the rural area, we often see um, uh, we're, we're all proud Iowans. And so the, it can be challenging to go to ask for food from a local pantry. Um, when there are, uh, many of our pantries are all volunteer run, and so you've got volunteers serving people in their own neighborhood, which can be challenging. So we do often see um, families go to a neighboring community to get food, whether it's a mobile pantry or another food pantry. Um, in the urban area, uh, you know, there's, um, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot more opportunities, I would say, for families to access food resources. Um, we try to work with our partners to make sure that there are opportunities seven days a week, um, in the evenings, in the mornings, in the afternoons, um, because everybody's working different shifts. We want to make sure that we're providing those resources for everybody. Michelle, both of you are using families a lot. Are there more families that are food insecure or more individuals, single? Households. Well, I, I would say in October, Food Bank of Iowa had a record month and we served 151,000 individuals and 67,000 of those were children. Our food pantries are telling us that with the uptick, they're seeing that that growth has been in families with children and a majority of them are working. One in seven working Iowa households does not make enough money to cover the basic costs of living. Um, if you're on fixed income, uh, that's the other demographic they're seeing mm -hmm. more of, folks on fixed income. Uh, an adult, you, me, all of us, need about $29,000 a year gross to float the boat. Uh, 
Average disability for the state of Iowa is 11,000. Average Social Security for the state of Iowa is 12,000. So there's a big delta there. It's families with kids and it's folks on fixed income. Kim, you mentioned the, the one possible hurdle in rural communities, especially where people may be, um, like you said, too proud or whatever it is, the, the, the mm -hmm. hesitant to seek this kind of assistance, even though they may need it. I, I, I wanted to follow up on that. I'm curious to what level your concern is with that. I, you know, you mentioned people that will go to another community, which isn't maybe ideal, but at least they're getting that help. Mm -hmm. What level of concern do you have that there are folks out there who, who just aren't, who, who need it, who, who could, could benefit from this kind of help and the, the, these programs, but just aren't doing that for some of those reasons you talked about? We try to focus on having, in our area, we have mobile pantries in all of our communities, especially in those rural areas, so that families who do need to access that can, can find us one way or another. Um, we are always concerned about the families who are not receiving the help that they need. And uh, you know, it's important that we try to contact families in, in lots of different ways. We do a lot of collaboration with other programs. And uh, as a food bank within a community action, we're closely connected to um, programs like Energy Assistance and Head Start and the WIC program to make sure that uh, there's a lot of opportunities to notify families about what resources are available. Um, I guess another thing that I wanted to mention, Michelle and I have talked about, uh, when you were talking about families, I was thinking about um, the, the cost that families pay for feeding their children in school. And uh, if there was a way for us to provide more of that um, opportunity for the free and reduced meals to continue in the school districts would be a way for all of families accessing um, services with young children to be able to um, have more food um, resources for their family. Yeah, it, and along those same lines, collaboration is key to our success. We find the food, we keep it safe, and we get it to the door of our partner. But our 700 partners, they hand it to the person that mm -hmm. need it. So we are, we are constantly looking for new and different collaborations. We're working with Area Aging Agency. Uh, they have regions established across the state of Iowa. They can get food to seniors. Seniors are proud and they don't come many times looking for it when they need it. We're working with Veterans Services Offices. There's one in each one of our 99 counties to put emergency food boxes in those offices for veterans. And we're also working with school systems. We now have about 120 pantries embedded inside of schools because we know schools in many parts of our state are the center of the universe. The other thing I'd say about rural versus urban, uh, in Metro Des Moines, we have over 200 partners. There is a plethora of services in the Metro, and that's a good thing because there's high demand in the Metro. But you go out to, let's say, Wapalo, Iowa, the nearest grocery store is a 15-minute drive. They depend on Dollar General to get milk once a month. So the services in rural Iowa are few and far between, and we have to work hard to build uh -huh. those partnerships uh -huh. in rural counties and then do our best to help them build capacity. We hold their hand all the right. way because right. it's really challenging in rural Iowa. Well, and you're kind of explaining the, the situation that comes forward with food deserts uh, and mm -hmm. which urban and rural yeah. food deserts look very different, but there are also some of the same hurdles when you think about the 15-minute drive in Wapalo versus uh, figuring out a transportation schedule for buses or whatever in, mm -hmm. say, a Cedar Rapids or a, or a Des Moines. Uh, I'm interested to know, uh, you know, is the paying for a gallon of milk at the Dollar General 
the overspending at maybe a gas station, is that leading to some of the food insecurity that people just don't have access to that within their locale? Well, certainly. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you have a, you have to take a calculator to the grocery store, every penny counts. So if they're paying double for a gallon of milk because that's all they have access to, of course, that's another, you know, a buck seventy-five they can't spend on something else. The cost of eggs, the cost of oranges, all those things are extraordinarily more expensive today because of inflation, but even more so when you go into a convenience store. So it's kind of a, a pub public education campaign as well, too, to try to get in the information out to communities that might not even know how to access this food. I mean, like, what are the partnerships that you have that kind of get that communication out there? We work closely with libraries. I mean, oh, it, nice. a lot of times for a rural community, a library is the central part of that town. Um, the kids go there after school, so the librarian knows which children need snacks after school. Uh, that's a great way to get connected, uh, get uh, those resources out to families in a community. Uh, we're also working with healthcare providers. So we can um, work with healthcare providers to have them do food security screening during a well exam or a, a visit to the doctor's office or free clinic. And so they're asking those questions um, that, that haven't normally been asked in a healthcare facility. And then we provide food boxes for the healthcare provider to give to that family during that visit along with resources to get connected to a local pantry so that there's lots of um, additional ways that we can get those messages out to families to be able to um, help them access what they need. Michelle? In everything we send out the door, every box, every bag, everything has, has um, instructions on how to access SNAP benefits and WIC benefits. Mm -hmm. And then as a Food Bank of Iowa Association, of which Kim and I belong, we pay for a SNAP hotline so Iowans can call that hotline in order to get SNAP benefits. That's something that the Food Bank Network here in Iowa supports. But also along those lines of working with healthcare, that's how we have access to senior citizens. Our seniors are so proud. They've worked hard their entire lives. They don't want a handout. And they, and they, they, they see it as something that somebody else, there are families mm -hmm. out there that need this. So going through healthcare providers and clinics, that is the best way to access senior citizens that we found. Mm -hmm. Michelle, you talked about uh, the, the work that you do with your partners. The, the Food Bank of Iowa right now is uh, dealing with some issues with some of those partners and, and it relates to exclusivity agreements and I, I don't want to get too into the weeds here and, and, and the different issues that have popped up, but, I, but what I'm just curious is uh, how confident you feel that those issues can be resolved and that at the end of the day you'll be able to continue to work with all of these local partners uh, um, that are have a similar mission to your own. Yeah. Thank you for that question, Aaron. Uh, there are no exclusivity agreements. There has never been an exclusivity agreement. There never will be an exclusivity agreement. That's in regard to rescue food. As a Feeding America mm -hmm. Food Bank, we are obligated to go and pick up food from national level partners, partners that are working under the Feeding America Food Bank. Um, example, uh, Walmart. They work with Feeding America. So because I'm a Feeding America Food Bank, I'm obligated to pick up from the Walmarts within my geographic service area. And doing so, Walmart knows that we keep the food safe. We have to adhere to strict food safety guidelines. And then we weigh all the pounds of food that we have taken. We report that to Feeding America. And then Walmart gets a report once a month with all the pounds rescued across their entire service area. And they get a tax deduction for that. 
we have no agreement with Walmart. Food Bank of Iowa has no agreement with Walmart, but it's part of my job as a Feeding America food banker to get there and pick up that food as a service to Walmart. Walmart can decide on any given day where that food goes. That's their choice. So if they want to divert it on Wednesday someplace else, fine, just let me know. Otherwise, I work for Walmart and other retailers that have food to rescue. Um, back to the, the first part of that question, Aaron. Uh, in September of this year, we issued a change to our contract um, requiring that each pantry that works with Food Bank of Iowa that, that um, gets the benefit of our hard work and our resources, that in return, they will provide one three-day supply of food to people within their geographic service area once a month. And there are some who say that that's asking too much. What's, what's your response to that? You know, I don't think one day, one three-day supply of food is too much. We have found that people mm -hmm. that are living in this space of food insecurity, they're appreciative, they're grateful, and they take what they need for themselves and their families. There's no data to prove that they would take too much if given the opportunity to take too much on. And some reporting um, refers to the fact that an average person comes into the food pantry system 3.6 times per year. Um, that's the data that's been available to us. So we don't believe it's too much. Of the 300 pantries we work with, 290 readily signed the agreement and chose to work forward, walk forward with us in serving food insecure Iowans. And in other cases, we're looking for new pantry partners. We already have multiple points of service. Um, the 10 that opted out of the contract with Food Bank of Iowa are all right here in the metro. Um, and we have another 77 pantries right here. Kim, if you had a wish list, are there products that you would like to buy but you're unable to do so because donations have fallen below the level that would allow you to buy those products? I would love to be able to have uh, a plethora of meat available. I think that's probably the biggest thing. You know, we always say for donations, we'd like to have peanut butter and canned fish, canned chicken, all of those things. But honestly, I'd really love to have tubs of ground beef and ground chicken and whole chickens and parts of chickens <laughs> that we can provide. Um, that is something that's often limited at pantries because there just isn't enough meat available uh, to purchase. It's, it's expensive to purchase, expensive for us to purchase, even though when we buy in bulk, we get a discount. So um, that's definitely... Uh, the thing I would say is I'd love to have meat for everybody. And, and we did during COVID with USDA, we were getting a lot of meat mm -hmm. products. And also prior to inflation, we were getting a lot of donations from meat retailers and processors. But some of that's dried mm -hmm. up. But you're right. If, we, right. if it were Christmas, I just want, you know, tons of ground right. beef and ground pork. And the, the second thing, and you didn't ask for two, but I'll give it to you anyway, <laughs> is um, fresh food. So we're really focusing on having more healthy options available, yeah. um, locally grown items as well. But I would love to be able to have potatoes, tomatoes, green peppers, onions, and carrots every single day so that yeah. everybody could have as much of those uh, regular items as, as much as possible. And they're expensive. I, I talked to a mother last week. She said a bag of apples was $10. Do I spend that $10 on a bag of apples or ramen noodles? Next month, uh, legislators are going to be returning to Des Moines uh, for a 2023 legislative session. If you had the ear of lawmakers, what would you say is needed for food insecure Iowans and to help your organizations? Kim, we'll start with you. 
think we need increased SNAP funding. Yeah. We need to uh, make sure that the amount of funding that's provided for families that are accessing SNAP um, is, is an amount that they can purchase their groceries with. Um, that I think is the most important. Um, we'd also love to see uh, increased funding for us to be able to continue to purchase local foods. Um, but uh, having as much food available is, is what really matters at this point. Yeah. We know SNAP lifts families up and out of poverty. We saw it during the course of COVID when there were maximum SNAP event benefits available by the federal government. We'd love to return to that level of support. And SNAP helps families who are, they're working or they're training for work or they're on disability of some sort. Um, so it's a great benefit. There's a ripple effect in the economy of 1.54 cents per dollar or 54 cents per dollar ripple effect. The other thing I'd love to see State of Iowa do is provide free breakfast and lunch to all of our kids. 40% of the kids in Iowa today qualify for USDA free and reduced price breakfast and lunch, but I think there are many more that whose parents probably haven't filled out the paperwork, but I do think every kid should come to school able to have breakfast and lunch, but they're the future, that's our workforce. We've got to invest in the kids and their education. We're getting down to our last minute or so here. So real quick, and, and you mentioned, Michelle, the, the SNAP benefits, and they were increased a little bit during the pandemic. Um, and then earlier this year, uh, Governor Reynolds uh, ended that expansion and returned them to previous levels. Is it safe to assume you would have preferred that higher level to, to stay longer? And, or I, I think I even heard you say a return to that level. Yeah, now. certainly what we would have preferred that. It's about $28 million a month that we turn back to the federal government when that proclamation was not um, moved forward. So $28 million a month into our state economy through our grocery store network was, it was a big impact and it kept families up and out of poverty. There's gotta be something, maybe we won't get back to that level, but there's gotta be something between where we are today where average SNAP benefit is minimal um, up to that. Families lost about $200 a month when that decrease was enacted. Kim, about 10 seconds left. If people have been watching this and they want to help, how's best to do so? I would say get involved. There's a local pantry in your community or neighborhood. Go talk to them, see what they need from a donation standpoint. Maybe it's food, maybe it's volunteers, and maybe it's funding. And you can also get connected with any of our food banks across the state as well. Well, thank you both for joining us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can watch every episode of Iowa Press at iowapbs.org. On behalf of everyone who works at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.